This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Colin Hay of Men at Work performs a pair of shows tomorrow and Wednesday night at the Birchmere in Virginia. I spoke with him about turning his Australian band into a Grammy-winning global phenomenon. Colin, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, nice to be with you. What can we expect from this Birchmere show? Um, are you doing any of the old Men at Work stuff? Is it is it newer stuff, your solo stuff, or what, what can we expect from the set? Well, I always do men at work stuff. I'm not, I'm not crazy. You know? <laughs> uh, so I still do some, some of those songs because they're big songs and uh, a certain uh, number of the audience always like to hear those. But yeah, I'll do some of those. I'm obviously doing some songs from this new covers record um, and also some new material that uh, will be out on a new record next year and then some just a few songs from the solo records, you know. So I think that people... People who come, I mean, uh, the Birchmere has always been very good to me, you know, so I think that people who come and see me there, they, they, um, you know, they like to hear some new things, you know, so uh, they're, they're very um, receptive uh, in that area. Oh, for sure. The name of the show is, is your newest album. I just don't know what to do with myself. How does that maybe, um, you know, differ from your previous stuff? Or can- Well, it's obviously different from any record that I've done before because it's uh, an album of, of cover material of other people. You know, I've never, I've never done that before. So that's a big, um, you know, a big departure. Um I just really did it. it. It wasn't really a planned record. I was just sitting around as as many people were with time on my hands, and uh, I, I'd already finished the record, which was due to come out next year. So I, record, I started recording these covers, and the record company really liked it. And they said, "Can we release this?" Because I, I'd actually decided to go out on tour, which uh, previously we were, we were undecided about, you know. So because I was going to go out on tour, we decided to release this. This uh, this covers record as as kind of an, an interim record, if you like, you know, because um, it's not something we really had had planned much to do, you know. But it came out so well that we decided to release it. What all artists do you cover on there? Um, I'm covering the Beatles and the Kinks and Dusty Springfield and Glenn Campbell and Blind Faith and lots of you know great 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 songs that had some kind of impact on me growing up. You know, before you moved to Australia, growing up in Scotland, what sort of music were you really digging on back then? Uh, was it like the Beatles stuff you're mentioning, or you know, who were your who were influences uh, that got you into music in the first place? Well, I had lots of influences, but I think that probably the Beatles were the, were the main one. You know, that that for me there was the Beatles and then it was everyone else, you know. So my mother and father had a music shop in Scotland, so I was surrounded by music. But, yeah, but, pretty, but the Beatles were pretty much it for me when I was, when I was, uh, you know, pre-teenager especially. What was the music shop called? James Hay. He was my father, so it was just called uh, his name. So it was called James Hay. Do you remember going through there, you know, off hours or during hours and just thumbing through all of the albums? Was that like your music education? Well, yeah, my well, you know, the 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 my father would would 
we when my father and I would sit in the store after it was closed and he would play me records it was a it was a great moment I remember that very vividly you know because he used to listen to songs because he used to want to know what he was selling you know what brought the family to Australia then you know I guess you were what like an early teenager but uh, what what made you yeah. guys move was it a job opportunity or what was it well we had we emigrated to Australia my father wanted to have, have create a better life for his family so uh, they had an, what they called an assisted passage there it only cost 10 pounds to go to Australia at that time so so off we went you know it was a, it was a it was a great thing to do and where about I mean Australia is a is a pretty big island. <laughs> where whereabouts did you guys settle? We went to we went to Melbourne. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So all right, so you growing up in Scotland listening to music records at your dad's, you know, record shop. You guys moved to Melbourne, Australia. When did you actually pick up an instrument or, you know, or or decide that you want to start singing or even start writing songs seriously? You know, you might have dabbled in it a little bit. When when did you start being like, you know, I'm going to actually try this? Uh before I left Scotland, I was I was uh I was playing music, so from when I was about twelve years old, I started to play. Gotcha. And then, um, obviously, once you're in Australia, you meet your your future men at work, yeah. uh, you know, co-founder Ron Stryker. How did that meeting actually happen? I'm sure you've told the story a million times, but I need it for posterity. <laughs> How did you guys actually meet? Oh, we met at someone's backyard in a in a in when West Melbourne, uh, I think around 1977. He was playing a. Uh, an acoustic 12-string, and uh, he was playing beautiful guitar. So uh, it just a, a light went off in my head, and I, I just knew that I wanted to, to work with that guy. When did you decide to form Men at Work? Obviously, you added in Jerry, Greg, John, uh, the other band members, but how did you guys form that and you know, and come up with the name, too? What, how did Men at Work come to you? Uh, in the middle of 19, uh, 1979, uh, Jerry joined us, and Jerry joined Ron and I, and... Uh, and uh and then I asked Greg to join, he joined and uh and then Ron switched from he was playing bass, he went back to lead to lead guitar and uh we asked John to join. John was a friend of Jerry's and so John joined. In the course of about two months it came together and uh you know, when Men at Work was a name that we'd thrown into the hat and we had some gigs to start so we had to have a name and so we just we we thought that was a that was a good name. I I, I I thought of the name because I was driving around and I would see men at work signs everywhere. So I thought that's already in people's heads. So people may may well remember that name if they if they see it. Well, nice. That's that's catchier than you know. You could have been called Yield or something. You know, <laughs> I think men at work is catchier. Yes, that's right. Uh, wrong way go back. Yeah, wrong way. <laughs> one Direction. <laughs> oh, that is a that is a title. Right? See, you paved the way for One Direction. Mm. Uh, all right. So your first album, eighty one, business as usual, was. Man, that I mean, it was massive. Take me into the recording of "Who Can It Be Now." How did that song come about? Right from that saxophone at the beginning. I mean, that just pulls us in. Well, I wrote that song in the in the middle of the the the, the bush. My girlfriend and I used to have some some land in South Wales, and so I wrote that just with her and the and the frogs listening, and uh, it took about forty minutes. And she said, "That'll be your that'll be your first hit," and and I believed her. So. Um, it was a good moment to come up with something like that. And um, when we recorded, the producer was very important because he he moved that saxophone hook up to the front of the song. So what it came in later in the song, and he said to move it up to the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it used to come it used to come in later, which was pretty silly. I bet you're glad you moved it because right at the beginning, when that sax comes in, you know, oh, this is men at work, baby. Yeah. All right, cool. And then all, that that same album also had uh, Down Under, which was you know obviously an uh, allusion to you know your new home in Australia, but Tell me how that song, how did that come to you, sir? Uh, Ron used to give me little tapes of stuff, and uh, what, the, a little, there was a little percussive groove that he had that 
that I, that I loved, and, uh, and so I I had this phrase in my head, living the land down under. So I just was messing around with that idea, and then um, one day this the the whole the whole song just popped out, and uh, there it was. It was um, it largely came from Ron's little little um, little tape that he gave me, which was quite um, trance-like. You know, it was really hypnotic. It's totally hypnotic for us listeners too. Tell me about how your popularity grew in terms of uh, what was it super huge in Australia, and then when do you start noticing that hey, we're we're big uh, in America and, and around the world as well. Well, it was very obvious. It started started in Australia, then started little spot fires everywhere else in the world, and then the United States was really the last country to, to pick up on the band. So it was it was um, it was very clear that the that the um, you know the train had left the station, and it was already becoming you know a bit of a runaway train at that point. So we just we knew that it was all it was all happening. You know, we were we were uh, it was. A very, very exciting, you know, kind of phenomenal time, you know. Our listeners would love to hear about, you know, that life-changing moment, you know, when you win Best New Artist at the Grammys at 83. I mean, that just puts you on the map dates and everywhere else um, and allows you to go on to do everything else. But just memories of sitting there and hearing your name called, and was it just a blur going up on stage? Were you speechless, or how did that work? Uh, it was well, the most exciting thing for me was, was our dressing room was next to Miles Davis, and then that was next to Lena Horn, which was next to Ella Fitzgerald and Jerry Lee Lewis and Ray Charles and Little Richard. All those people were there, so that was that was the most exciting thing for me was just being in that company. You know, it's amazing. Right, for sure. Well, I know you're a busy, man, so we'll let you run. But thanks for going through some of that Men at Work stuff and and your new stuff. Uh, everyone, check out the new cover album. I just don't know what to do with myself. And uh, you can come see him perform live Tuesday, August 18th, and Wednesday, August 18th, uh, at the historic Birchmere in Virginia. So, Colin, hey, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it too. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.